shineth in me, that shineth in me. Jesus is a light that shineth in me, that shineth in me. He'll show up in me. He'll show up in me. Jesus, feeling good this morning, y'all. Jesus, Jesus. opportunity to be in his house one more time for he didn't have to allow us to be here this morning but I'm so glad that he did thanking Pastor Cofield for this opportunity to stand before you all on this morning good morning also want to thank my family my whole row of family here for, for being here and supporting me on this morning a few years ago Pastor Cofield preached a series of sermons called Preaching Worth Repeating. And, and in that series, it was a series of sermons that were timeless um, and relevant no matter what, what year, whether it was preached for the first time or multiple times. And this morning, God laid a sermon on my heart that is a sermon that is worth repeating. And it also falls in line with the series that Pastor has been preaching this month um, about surviving hard times. Um, so if you would pray with me this morning. Father God, we thank you, Lord, for this day. Thank you for who you are, Lord, who you are in our lives, for all that you do for us. Lord, I ask now that you would sit down my flesh and that you would stand up your spirit in me, for I cannot preach or teach your word without you, nor will I try. Lord, just thank you for all that you are doing in this church, in this community, Lord, in our various lives, Lord. It's trying times that we're living in, but we pray, Lord Jesus, that you would give us the strength, that you would give us the courage, that you would increase our faith, Lord, so that we can hold on just a little while longer. So, Lord, we give you all the praise and all the glory in advance for what you're going to do today, Lord, and we ask that you would... Help us, Lord, not to only be hearers of your word, but to also apply it to our lives. It's these things we pray in the precious and the perfect and the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. <clears throat> Get my glasses here. I'll say this is the first time I've ever preached with my glasses in over 20 years. Lord is doing something, right? <laughs> So there's an idiom that we've heard at least once in our lives that says, if you can't stand the heat, then get out the kitchen. And this idiom is often used when describing a person unable to endure the pressure, the heat involved in doing something. It, it, it can be any pressure or task, but it is an invitation to 
withdraw from the task to avoid the pressure. But whenever you remove yourself from a situation or circumstance that tests you or applies pressure, in the long run, it hurts you more than it benefits you. We are, we are quickly approaching football season, and I know my football fans are saying, Lord, thank you, Jesus. And, and, and many players are beginning to uh, training camp, and, and, and training camp is designed to put players in pressure situations that mimic real game time situations. And if a player chooses not to practice in these pressure situations, when it comes time to execute on the field, when it really counts, that that player may be at a disadvantage when the heat is turned up on game day because they avoided the pressure during practice and training. And, And this is the world's philosophy when it comes to handling difficulties in life. Rather than going through trials and tribulations, the most popular thing to do is to take the easiest way out. This is a sad indictment, but Christians have developed this mindset and exhibit a spiritual weakness, causing them to break not only in their trouble, but simply at the sight of trouble. Most of us, most of us, most of, most of, most of this can be accredited to, to today's society. Everything is instant. We do not want to wait on or for anything. People want instant satisfaction and gratification. Nobody wants to work hard anymore. No, no, nobody wants to struggle or, or strive. If it takes too long to achieve, some people say, it's just not for me. And, and yes, I do, I do understand. I do understand that there are shortcuts in life that, that save time and money, and there are times that we should avoid suffering. However, there are some difficulties that we will have to endure. There will be mountains that you have to climb rather than walk around them. There are going to be days when you have to stand in a rain without an umbrella and valleys you will have to walk through rather than cross over. Singer-songwriter Betty Wright, she understood. She, 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 She said, my baby and I are back together again. Our love is better than it's ever been. If it weren't for the trials that we've been through, I'd never have the courage to come back to you. No pain, no gain. And I know that Betty was talking about love, but but if it weren't for the trials that you have been through, you would not have the courage to go through future troubles. Storms of life are sure to come, but there is benefits from your burdens and there is purpose from your pain. So I want to encourage you this morning, the next time you're going through a difficult situation, the next time that the heat is turned up in your life, do not buckle under pressure, but stay in the kitchen. So for a few moments this morning, with the aid and assistance of the Holy Spirit, we want to use for a subject for this for the selected uh, for the selected text stay in the kitchen so as we take an exegetical approach to our selected passage in terms of facing trials I want to give you reasons to stay in the kitchen in other words there are benefits for going through your trials in Romans chapter 5 verses 1 through 5 the English standard version it reads 
Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into the grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. In the context of this passage in in chapter 4, Paul was writing to believers in Rome to establish God's method of justifying sinners. And it's important to know that, that a sinner is justified by their faith and not their works. And if you allow me to pull over, I promise I'll keep the engine running. But, but, but some believe that the way to God and heaven is through their deeds and through their works. They, they, they feel like joining a church body is not, is not important, but rather obeying rules gains them brownie points with God. And, and donating their money and their time to charity places their name in the book of life. And if someone is convinced that this is the way to God... That person is sadly mistaken because works without faith are dead. And this is why Paul, this is why Paul, he established this method of our, uh, of our justification by using Abraham as an example. Because Abraham did not waver concerning his promise, the promise of God. He, he grew strong in his faith as, God, as he gave glory to God. He was fully convinced that God would do what he promised, and this is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. So, so, so what is it that God has promised us? He promised that if we believe in his son, Jesus Christ, that, that, that he was the sacrifice that washes away our sins, the, the one that God raised from the grave, and that he's coming back one day to receive us, God promised to save us. When we are fully convinced that God can do what he promised, our faith is counted to us as righteousness and our salvation is eternal. So, so in chapter 5, chapter 5, Paul says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, there are not only benefits derived from justification at the moment we are saved, but there are benefits and blessings attached to justification throughout the entire believer's life. The, 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 between the sinner, between the sinner uh, 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 and God exists a state of enmity, hostility, and antagonism. The, the, the state of war that exists between the unbeliever and God continues until a state of peace is declared. But thank God that the believer is justified by faith and has a peace treaty with God through Jesus Christ. We should be joyful for our peace with God, but we also have access to God. No longer is there a divide between God and, and us, but, but, but we have access to God. We can boldly approach his throne. We can boldly approach God. Jesus Christ provides immediate and consistent access to God for those who God has declared not guilty. And because we are not guilty, we can rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. 
This is no, no uncertain hope as in hoping in a wishful manner, but this hope is concrete. We rejoice in the hope and the glory of God, knowing that whatever we are today, one day since we have been justified, we shall be like Christ. So we see, we see, we see the benefits and, and blessings of those justified through their faith. But at the beginning of verse 3, Paul says something that goes against logic. What he says is it's not easy for the human mind to, to comprehend. Look, 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 look what he says. He says, more than that, we rejoice in our sufferings. I know what you're thinking because I was thinking the same thing. Wait a minute, Paul. Let me make sure that I'm, I'm, I'm reading this correctly. Let me, let me make sure that I understand this. I, I, I see the benefits from my justification having peace with God. That's a, that's a wonderful thing. And gaining access to God, I can, I can live with that. And I can really rejoice in the hope that one day I will be perfected and glorified. But how does rejoicing in my suffering benefit me? But, but, but check this out. Paul did not say that we rejoice after our suffering. He, he, he did not say that the time we ought to be joyful uh, was after the storm or, or after the burdens or, or after the pain or after the trials. Rather, we ought to rejoice during suffering. And this is confirmed in, in James chapter 1 as the Jewish Christians were told to count it all joy whenever you encounter various trials. The Greek word Paul used for rejoice is the word boast, meaning that during our trials, we still have the ability to praise God. So we need to understand, we need to understand that, 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 that Paul does not mean that we ought to be happy about our suffering because you're not going to rejoice if the doctor says that you have cancer and there's nothing else that they can do. You're, you're, you're not going to rejoice if your employer lets you go and tells you that your services are no longer needed. It will not feel good if your spouse walks out on you. These things are not going to bring you joy, but you rejoice in knowing what suffering produces. And this is why Paul says we, we rejoice in our sufferings because after we've gone through the trials, we do not walk away empty-handed, but our suffering produces something in us. But to benefit from our heart, heartache and pain, we must rejoice in our sufferings. In other words, we must be willing to stay in the kitchen. <clears throat> Paul gives us reasons we should stay in the kitchen and rejoice in our sufferings. And in verse 3, first we see that staying in the kitchen develops endurance. Paul says, Paul says, more than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. Endurance, endurance is the ability or the strength to continue or last. It, it involves patience and being able to hold up under, under pressure. Here's a better definition. Endurance is our faith that has been stretched out. As Christians, we are to endure unfavorable circumstances without letting them take away our joy. Endurance is not only the ability to, to bear suffering, but to turn our suffering into joy. So, so how is endurance developed? 
And I hope you're not expecting me to give you a deep theological explanation, because I don't have one. But, but, but endurance is, is developed by standing on the promises of God's word. Faith in the word is key to endurance. When you know what God promised to do for his children, you will be able to hold up under pressure and rejoice in your suffering. You, you need to know that the word of, you need to know the word of God if you're going to develop endurance. When I understand that all things work together for the good of those who are called according to his purpose and love the Lord, I can endure. When I know that all, I can cast all my cares upon him because he cares for me, I can endure. He said he would supply all my needs. He said he would never leave me nor forsake me. He promised that no weapon formed against me should prosper. He said, seek and I shall find, knock and it will be open. When I stand on the promises of God's word during my suffering, I will learn how to endure. In prayer, prayer, prayer too must accompany our faith in the word of God as we go through the storms of life. There will be times that you will have no one to lean on, but constant communication with God will help you to endure. When endurance is developed, it can, you can outlast your suffering. And this reminds me of a story. In 1990, Georgine Johnson was a Cleveland native and after turning 42, she became depressed. Can't say that I understand that, but, 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 but she decided that she needed to do something. She decided that she wanted to, to develop a goal and, and to get into better shape for the second half of her life. So Georgine, she began to exercise, then she started to jog, and then she started running. She decided that what she really needed was a goal. So she registered for the 10K, which is a six-mile race, and then she started training. She trained hard, and on the race day, she was so excited and she was ready to go. As she arrived early that morning, she saw all the other runners prepping and, and stretching, and as they began to line up at the, finish, the, at the starting line, she followed along with them. The, the horn sounded for the runners to, to, to line up. And, and as she started at the, finish, the starting line, they were off. Four miles into the race, with no turnaround in sight, Georgine, she, she asked another runner if the finish line was near. And the man looked at her with a strange look on his face, and, and, and he said, are you for real? And it was at that moment that she realized that she was not in the 10K race, but she was in the Cleveland Marathon. And you see, both races, they, they had the, the same start line, but, but the 10K started 15 minutes after the marathon. But because she was arrived early and she was so excited, she became distracted and she lined up too soon. And it was too late to turn around, so she just kept running. 26 miles later, she crossed the finish line. Her previous longest race was only eight miles. 
And when she was asked what she had went through and, and what was going through her mind as she faced this challenge, she said, this is not the race that I thought I entered. Nevertheless, this is the race I found myself in. But because I trained and I had previous race experience, I had enough to endure and to continue and last. There will be some trials you did not plan for or expect. But because you have allowed your faith to be tested and stretched out in previous trials and struggles, endurance was produced. And now with the help of God, you can make it through your next trial. The development of our, of our endurance does not only benefit you, but when someone else looks at you and they saw that you did not give up and that you held on and that you held on to your faith, it serves and it becomes a testimony that you serve a real God. And this is why we shouldn't be so quick and such in a hurry to get out of our trials and we should be encouraged to stay in the kitchen because you never know who else is looking at you. You never know who else that you can help develop their endurance as well. And so we should allow our endurance to be fully developed so that we can receive the entire lesson that God intended for us. Not only the staying in the kitchen develop endurance, but it also builds character. Look at verse four. And endurance produces character. Paul shows that there is a natural and there's a logical connection that begins with suffering. Suffering develops endurance. And when endurance is complete, it builds character. The Greek word that Paul uses for character in some translations might use the word experience, but, but it means test, proof, or verification. In other words, the results of our trials after standing a test, which is endurance, is character or integrity that has been proved. Suffering tests us and it, and it builds our character. So essentially, the, the way we handle our trials, it, it, it proves who we really are. If we go through our trials whining and, and complaining, it proves that our faith, that faith is weak or non-existent. If we make our own decisions in, in dealing with suffering, it shows that we value our opinion more than God's inerrant guidance. If, if this is how a person handles trials, it shows that in previous difficulties, they could not stand the heat and they had to get out of the kitchen because staying in the kitchen builds our character. Someone said, someone said that God is not so much concerned with our comfort as he is with our character. And knowing that God's tests are always for strengthening, we should be able to stay in the kitchen for character building because the Lord would never allow us to be overtaken by the heat. A proven character provides strength so that we can ride the emergencies of life rather than being overtaken by them. What characteristics have you acquired from your trials? What, 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 what characteristics have you acquired from your suffering and from your pain? Are you stronger? Are you wiser? Do, do, do you know how to bend without breaking can, can, can you walk on water without sinking? Do, do, do you trust the Lord to lead you as you walk through the valleys of the shadow of death? 
God, God wants to build our character before he calls us to service. He, he must work in us before he can work through us. And since we were born wrong, it's going to take some time to get us right. God spent 25 years working on Abraham before he can give him his promised son. God, God worked 13 years in Joseph's life before he placed him in the palace. He spent 80 years preparing Moses for 40 years of service. Jesus, he trained his disciples three years building their character. However, God will not work in us without our consent. And we give the Lord our consent when we're able to rejoice in our suffering and stay in the kitchen. I'm getting ready to sit down and be happy all by myself. Lastly, staying in the kitchen gives hope. So here is a perfect circle that began in verse 2 with the hope of the glory of God. Pass through tribulation which causes us to be steadfast. And this endurance proves that we are indeed a child of God and, and this proof encourages us in the hope of the glory of God. Hope in its simplest definition is to have confidence, expectation, and trust. Our trust, our, our hope must be in Christ. It is then that we become the masters rather than victims of difficulties in life. And if we maintain hope and trust in Christ and see his work through all of our sufferings, the result is increased hope, faith, and love. Difficulties in life are not random. They're, they're, they're not meaningless or wasted when we trust God with the expectation that he's doing something greater than what we're going through. Our hope needs to grow. It needs to develop with the rest of our spiritual being. And hope grows as we learn all that God has in mind for us and has in mind for our lives. And it gives us the promise of the future. And this hope, this hope that Paul, he, he refers to is not a superficial optimism but the confident assurance of that which will surely happen. This hope distinguishes those who have kept the faith during times of severe testing, and hope gives us another reason to rejoice in our sufferings. We can learn a great lesson from birds. Have you ever been awakened in the morning by the singing of birds? And do you often wonder why they're singing so early as you press snooze to try to get at least 15 more minutes of sleep? But, but, but someone said that, that, that birds sing early in the morning because they're happy to see the sun again. But, but, but I've noticed that the singing starts long before the sun is even visible, yet they sing anyway. They, they sing in darkness because they know it will not stay dark forever. How do they know this? They know this because of hope. They have a confident assurance that after the darkness, the sun will shine again. So they sing to welcome the sun. We too should be able to sing in darkness because of the hope that we have in Christ, knowing that it will not stay dark forever. In other words, trouble doesn't last always. David said it like this, weeping 
may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. As, as Paul closes his thought in verse 5, he, he, he says, hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Since we have been justified, our hope in God's promises will never disappoint us. We are absolutely assured that he will fulfill all that he has promised. The hope that Paul mentioned in verse 2 is, is, is one that primarily looks to the future when we will share in God's glory. But hope in verse 5 is the maturing product of a life trusting God, focusing on the immediate experience of God's love. Hope for the believer in Christ includes a future worth rejoicing over and a present that will not disappoint. So praise God that we have hope that will never let us down. And I'm so glad, I'm so glad for this, for this biblical perspective on sufferings because it means that I can truly rejoice in my trials. I, it means that when I go through the storms of life and I, I become drenched in the rain, there, there's no need to become upset because God is working something out in me. I don't know what you're going through this morning, but there are times that we're going through our trials. And, and when the heat is turned up in our life, I'm encouraged to stay in the kitchen, knowing that it is working for my good. And, and, and understand this, not every trial, not every trial that comes our way may be sent by God, but they're definitely allowed by God. So knowing that the Lord is still in control, I will rejoice in my suffering. And I thought, I thought Paul was crazy for saying we should rejoice in our suffering until I discovered that suffering develops endurance. This means that I can outlast my trials and stand tall under pressure. When, when endurance is complete, it builds character. A proven character reveals who I really am. It, it shows that I can trust in God no matter what life throws my way. A proven character gives hope. This is not superficial optimism, but a confident assurance that God promises will come to pass. God promised never to leave me nor forsake me. He promised to be my God. He, he promised to give me joy and sorrow and hope for tomorrow. He promised to hear my cry. He promised that if I stay in the kitchen, he will produce great things in me. I pray this morning that you're encouraged to stay in the kitchen. I pray that you can rejoice in your trials. And I know it's not Easter Sunday, but, but, but we have a great example in Jesus. Because Jesus stayed in the kitchen. When he was tested and tempted in the wilderness, Jesus stayed in the kitchen. As he walked his earth through his ministry these three years, Jesus stayed in the kitchen. As he was praying to God in the Garden of Gethsemane, Lord, please remove this cup. Jesus stayed in the kitchen. He stayed in the kitchen. When they marched him from judgment hall to judgment hall, he stayed in the kitchen. When they beat him all night long, beyond recognition, Jesus stayed in the kitchen. When he walked down the Via Della Rosa, on up to a hill called Calvary, Jesus stayed in the kitchen. He stayed in the kitchen when they pierced him in his side. He stayed in the kitchen 
we need to look towards the heaven. My God, my God, why have thou forsaken me? He stayed in the kitchen when he hung his head and died. He stayed in the kitchen all night, Friday night, all day Saturday, all day Saturday night. But early one morning, something happened. It was early one morning, something happened. Jesus got up with all power in his hands. And because of that power, because of that power that lives in us as a child of God, you too can stay in the kitchen. You can stay in the kitchen. You can stay in the kitchen. It gets hard. It gets hard sometimes. But we just have to realize as a child of God, we have all we need. We have his power that lives inside of us. We just have to tap into it. We have to stay steadfast and just remember that he's trying to produce and he's trying to build our character and do some great things in us. All we have to do is just outlast our trials, our tribulations, and our sufferings, and stay in the kitchen. God bless you.